All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm speaking to you from the Borough of Queens. It is the 5th day of July, 2022. Before I talk more about today's show, I do like to remind you that I'm the editor of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and that you can subscribe to that letter by going to miningstocks.com. like to plug Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Especially... Uh, if you would like to venture into the biotechs, there's some really exciting stories there. And uh, it's an industry that uh, a lot of times runs counter to the big markets as well. So it certainly is doing pretty well today and has been uh, through some of the rough days that we've experienced recently in equity markets. So chenpicks.com is a place to go for that. And, of course, we always like to remind you of Michael Oliver's excellent newsletter. Uh, go to olivermsa.com for that, olivermsa.com. I want to thank all of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. I'd also like to invite you to continue sending along whatever comments you have about this show to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions at number four, Taylor at gmail.com. And we uh, need to thank our sponsors because without them, there would be no show. This week's sponsors are Irving Resources, Novo Resources, Eloro Resources, Core Asset Corp., SK Mining, Timberline Resources, Lion One Metals, and Raina Goldcorp. I've titled today's show, What Happens If Russia Wins the Financial War? Alistair McLeod, Michael Oliver, and Michael Wood return. So far, sanctions have backfired on those countries described by Vladimir Putin as unfriendly nations. As David Stockman recently said on my June 28th show, he said, and I quote, Washington's cowardly proxy war against Russia reached a new level of absurdity over the weekend. To wit, the G7 knuckleheads declared an embargo on imports of Russia source gold and forced Russia into technical default on its foreign debts by forbidding U.S. companies from collecting the payments which Russia debtors had deposited in their accounts at non-sanctioned Russian banks. In a word, ordinary commerce has been so weaponized by Washington that the world's oldest money can no longer be freely exchanged on international markets. At the same time, interest payments made in good faith by Russian borrowers have been effectively seized and frozen in place by the U.S. government. And yet, where are the free enterprise Republicans? End of quote. That from David Stockman. Well, I would suggest that the free enterprise Republicans have joined the military-industrial complex swamp that President Eisenhower warned us about as he was leaving the White House back in 1960. Those people simply don't want peace with Putin or anyone because that wouldn't be good for profits in the military-industrial complex. Thousands of companies that feed off 
the feeding trough of free money, cheap money from the United States taxpayers. That may be a topic uh, we'll talk more to David Stockman about. He will be my guest next week. So what happens if Russia wins the financial war? Alistair, who will be with me in the second half of today's show, opined on June 23 that Russia is definitely winning the financial war, and if the U.S. military-industrial complex continues printing money to finance weapons used to force other adversaries into submission, as well as other socialist voting vote-buying policies that continue to run America into bankruptcy, well, what happens then? Well, we'll talk to Alistair about that in the second half of today's show. My view is that it will continue to accelerate the pace at which the dollar heads towards the dustbin of history. Now, that may sound alarmist, but we'll uh, investigate those ideas with Alistair in the second half of today's show. Uh, Michael Wood will join me right after our first commercial break to provide an update on an exciting macro, really a micro cap company. It's about a $10 million market cap in the U.S. right now uh, with a world-class exploration project in Mexico. And that company is one of our sponsors, Rena Goldcorp. But right now, I'm really happy to tell you Michael Oliver is here to share his view of on these really crazy markets. Thank you for joining me, Michael. Hi, Jay. Good to be back. Interesting times. Well, it is, to say the least. Um, you mentioned something about a Forex crisis when your notes to me this morning. Could you explain what you're thinking? Yeah, the um, first off, gold. Everybody's nervous about gold. And, uh, I didn't know silver and the miners have been beat up. But gold <clears throat> right now is down 3.3% on the year. Compare that to any other major asset category. Okay? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, like, unbelievable. Uh, now, the dollar, which is... Uh, uh, widely focused issue right now. Everybody's all bullish on the dollar. And that means, you know, the dollar is strong versus other pieces of paper, okay, the yen mm -hmm. and the euro. Well, okay, Powell is a hawk. Uh, the ECB has now gone back to more of a dove status after mm -hmm. attempting to go the other way. And the BOJ has not deviated from being a radical dove, okay, mm -hmm. easy money. Now, therefore, in the process, people, investors have moved more of their cash into dollars, okay? Yep. And that's been a wise decision. The dollar's up 10% on the year right now mm -hmm. from where it closed last year. Now, mm -hmm. when you look back, going back to 2015 on the dollar index, uh, we're only up about 3% above the high of 2015. Mm -hmm. So it's no big deal when you look at the longer-term stretch. Mm -hmm. uh, since then, gold doubled. Dollar's up 3% higher than it was seven years ago. Okay, mm -hmm. no big deal. Most of the dollar run occurred in early part of this year, and that's what turned a lot of heads. Now, when we do our technical analysis, not looking at the price charts, I mean, we look at those two, but looking at price measured against various duration moving averages, short-term mm -hmm. to long-term, we find a situation that looks ripe for a fairly dramatic top and downturn, the kind of snap that would surprise an ambush, we, we use the word ambush, many investors who've gotten on this train. Now, again, looking at the, at the dollar versus gold, mm -hmm. it has not really had a major impact on gold. Obviously, gold wouldn't have doubled if the dollar only went up 3% in, ten, in seven years, right? Okay, mm -hmm. that makes sense that gold doubled during that time. But recently, there has been a negative correlation between the two, inverse correlation, where the euro's demise, and it just broke through the May low today, finally, uh, the yen... And the dollar to the upside, the gold has been behaving in sync with that situation, mm -hmm. so opposite to the dollar. 
Now, mm-hmm. if the dollar, in fact, by our metrics, is looks like it's on the cusp of a downward snap, meaning that this little orgy we've just seen over the last several months of people rushing to own the dollar, if that was mistaken or overdone, both of those probably apply, uh, then when the downturn comes, it's going to surprise people. Now, mm-hmm. why, why is this a big issue? Well, first off, the gold has been weathering it well, because like I said, dollars up 10% on the year, gold's only down 3 So it's been mm-hmm. taking that pretty well. And of course, versus the other currencies, the dollar looks quite good, obviously. The problem is that the inflation we're seeing in the U.S., when you see it in Europe and see it in Japan, it's exacerbated now by the weakness in their currencies. So mm-hmm. if you're Japanese or you're European and you want to buy energy, you want to buy food, you're having to pay a lot more euros to get what you want and need. And therefore, the economic downturn that we're going to see globally uh, will likely show up more so in Europe and Japan first than it will here, though we have the bigger bubble, actually. So right now, the Europeans are in dire economic situation where they have both high food and energy prices. Factories are being threatened to shut down. I'm talking German industry. Some industrialists are saying, you know, not just partial, but total shutdown. Uh, We have a pending food crisis, but the prices of the foreign exchange markets have exacerbated the situation for those other developed parts of the world. Mm -hmm. If they turn down economically, partly due to the drop in their own currencies and therefore their inability to acquire what they need, uh, that's going to take us down. So here's Jerome Powell playing hawk. Everybody's intimidated. He's going to stay a hawk. And yet he's sitting on top of the situation where he can see, one, that our stock market is not just declining. You know, it's been collapsing, yeah. relatively speaking. And two, the Europeans are screaming, and the Japanese are, that something's got to be done about the Forex situation, or they're going to implode. Mm-hmm. So what's he going to do? Is that going to cause him to raise rates more or maybe to come out with some little terminology in the next month or so or weeks that says, uh, well, we're going, to taper, we're going to end up our tapering uh, at the next meeting? You know, that kind of yeah. thing. Because yeah. he's sitting on a keg of dynamite. Mm-hmm. And I think the gold market is the beneficiary of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Because well, it sure doesn't, it that, sure doesn't look like yeah. it now, uh, Michael, but I can hear, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. And if things turn, they can turn very quickly. So I, yeah. I guess that means you got to be ready for it. You can't just wait because you'll be by the time you right figure it out, it'd be, it'd be a big thing. move. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, we're I'm looking for the the V bottom in silver and gold because I think of all the assets in the world, and we measure them versus the commodity complex. We measure gold versus the S and P. All of our metrics look like that kind of coil spring upturn is about to occur. Yeah, I mean uh, we're looking at. Gold at I don't know seventeen sixty eight or something like that. Silver is below twenty one or it's around twenty one or something like that. I guess. No, it's right? in the nineteenth. So you know it's. But well, I, the I issue saw is I saw the sustainability of this, and we think it's very, very brief, if not almost immediate, that it could turn back up. We're measuring for that turn. We don't have it yet, so don't jump the gun. But we think it's highly likely, and we're watching the dollar in that regard as well, because we think it's highly vulnerable to a snap to the downside that sustains. Mm-hmm. Well, I saw an article this morning that said the retail investor is giving up, they're throwing in the towel on silver. So that could be a good, a good well, sign, I suppose. It's the lowest so. commitment of traders positive situation in many years. So yeah. the commitment of traders report on silver validates what you just said. 
Nobody's yeah. bullish. Oh, uh, it's, last uh, time we yeah, had it's, meetings it's like, like this was March 2020 was the last time we had commitment of traders this, this week. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it looks yeah, like have, a capitulation. Um, sort of the psychology looks like that of a, of a capitulation situation for silver and maybe for gold, too. I think people are really – and the gold shares, my goodness, the juniors that I follow and track have just been bludgeoned. It's just uh, – it has to be one of the best opportunities in the world for people that have managed to retain some cash during this period of time. Well, also we're seeing you know the base metals and the commodities in general get – Smacked really hard. Um, mm-hmm. Copper, copper is down. Oil, of course, well, that makes really sense. got hit. We yeah. we called the negative on copper at four fifty. It's now down under three fifty. We thought it would go to three fifty. Uh, copper's a industrial related, therefore it could suffer. However, mm-hmm. the energy markets we don't think are going to collapse. They've had a sharp drop back to recent lows. No big deal. You know, got into the nineties. That's a low. <laughs> compared to recent recent years, uh, I think energy is likely to stay at very high levels and oscillate violently, but at high levels mm-hmm. compared to prior years. The foods where I'd watch now, I think yeah. the food commodities are tending. They're selling off right now, but I think uh, the grains and uh, sugar and some of these other commodities like that that we consume uh, have another major upleg coming, and yeah. that will not be comfortable for a lot of people and for economies. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Michael, I saw that uh, I saw that in Europe. I think maybe this is in Germany. Gas, natural gas, is up fivefold. The price is up fivefold. Electricity is up four times. Mm-hmm. And electricity mm-hmm. prices are. And I mean, how can you run an economy? And this is, you know, clearly because of the sanctions against Russia. Uh, mm-hmm. that, that you know that it's really messed no, up the markets, and you can't solve that can't. with money. <laughs> you can't solve that problem yeah. with money by printing money, as uh, that's all they know to do, and that's all. I suppose the, I, I suppose you're suggesting ultimately that's what we're going to see from ultimately from Powell. the Fed will have to do that. They have no choice. They yeah. have the biggest yeah. bubble in stock market history is breaking. It's broken. It's going lower. You will have real economic data points that will follow it rapidly. Uh, oh. Even Zuckerberg's telling people to go ahead and quit. Yeah, they're going to get yeah. fired. Okay, so, you know other other corporate heads have already warned of that. Uh, it's yeah. not a joke. It's real. Uh, Powell apparently sitting on top of this academic pile there, uh, thinking he knows best. Well, reality is going to smack him. Yeah. He'll be at a, a unique point in history mm-hmm. uh, where even the ECB and the BOJ will be screaming at him, you know, in phone calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got to change, you've got to alter this situation. We're dying. <laughs> so it's yeah. a monetary crisis, and uh, I yeah. think gold knows it, and I think it's yeah. positioned for it. Well, I would think it, it could very well be, uh, you know, we may look back at this time and say, wow, I woulda, shoulda, coulda bought more gold and gold shares and silver and silver yeah. shares. But uh, time will tell, but it sure looks like it. I've been, you and I have been through a lot of these uh, cycles, Michael, so it's not as if this is our first rodeo. And uh, that ha- that's helpful, too, I think, to, to help put it all in perspective. Well, I want to thank you very much for joining us again and giving us your insights. They're always very much appreciated. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jay. All right, folks, well, uh, Michael Wood is coming up with us uh, right after the commercial break. Uh, and very, a very exciting story there, a company with, I think, world-class expl- gold exploration project in Mexico. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Michael Wood.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Lion Wine Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have with me once again uh, really pleased to have with me once again Michael Wood, the CEO of Reina Gold Corp. Uh, this is a company that I've just started following. It is a sponsor to this show. I expect to add it to my newsletter very soon after uh, I did some more due diligence on it in preparation for this uh, for the second time Michael's coming on. Uh, Michael is really a, a sort of a unique uh, mining invest uh, mining CEO, uh, having spent some time. Uh, well, as a counter-terrorist uh, command uh, for Scotland Yard, I mean, my goodness. And then, but before that, he was in wealth management, uh, and then since then has also been involved in the financial area of, uh, of, of investing in mining shares and, and so forth. So uh, really, really, uh, the company has a, a tremendously strong management team, in my view, uh, and just some great properties, which Michael will talk about. Uh, just before I say hello to him, let me tell you that it trades, uh, Reina Gold trades in Toronto, R-E-Y-G. Uh, you can buy it down here in the States under the symbol R-E-Y-G-F. 66.7 million shares. It's up a bit today in a pretty terrible market. And despite that, it's up a couple of pennies to 16 cents. Gives it a U.S. market cap of around $10 million, if my arithmetic is correct. Michael, thanks for joining me again. Yeah, great to be here, Jay. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you uh, you introduced Raina Gold on this show on May 24th, and we learned that you and your geologists are viewing a very major gold system, uh, but also with some base metals as, as well. Um, I guess your focus is primarily on gold, though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, like, um, the, the trend around the Mojave and Omegashire is, is a gold trend, uh, predominantly um Pure gold, you know, it's oxide oxide gold, very easy to process, heat leach mm-hmm. uh, processing most of the time. So that's the, that's the, the shorter point primary driver. But yeah, very interested that we started finding quite a bit of copper in one part of the property, and silver's popping up in multiple parts. But that's what you kind of expect in a big system. So um, gold is definitely the primary metal, and in, in different parts we are we are seeing you know just primary gold, and in other parts we're seeing a combination of gold, silver, copper. So. Um, very happy with it, with the with the exploration so far, Jay, and we can get into that in more detail. But we've now just started drilling that third third target zone, 
Um, we're going to drill four of the initial 11 target zones uh, during the summer period. And, uh, you know, delighted to be moving forward with, with this drilling and looking forward to getting results out to the market, hopefully pretty soon, on, the, on more drilling that's been done over the last couple of months. I think you, you, you just mentioned the oxides, uh, very extensive oxides, I guess, in this Mojave Sonora mega shear zone that extends way up into the southern part of, of California, southeastern part of California, I believe. I see a couple of mines up there that I recognize. Uh, and is, is your primary interest then in the sort of your near-term interest in the shallow oxide, you know, the weathered um, gold yeah, mineralization yeah. that can be put into production? Not that you're going to be a producer. I don't think you have that in mind. But in building up ounces, is that, is that the primary focus currently? Exactly, Jay. And I think, you know, a lot of investors in the sector understand the benefit of oxide ore that is heat bleachable. It substantially reduces the, the capex, firstly, which for a lot of deposits is a major barrier, which never makes them into a mine because, you know, you've got hundreds of millions of dollars of capex. Yeah. And secondly, then the opex is very simple. And like you say, if we can build up a number of shallow deposits across the surface, it's so easy to scoop them out you know, do some minor processing, put it on a leach pad, and boom, you know, you've got gold. So that's what we're aiming for. You know, that's that's the beauty of this trend in Mexico. You know, a lot of these uh, oxide trends that are, that are heat bleachable, you know, that they've been, they've been found and they've been mined. It's becoming harder and harder to find oxide gold. So you know, that's what we're focused on at Reina Gold. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're delighted with the progress so far at La Gloria. And, uh, you know, like you say, we also have three other properties on these two big gold trends in Mexico. Right, you do, although Lagoria is really the one that you're primarily focused on. That's where you're spending most of your exploration dollars. Isn't that true? Yeah, yeah, all of them. Yeah, at and, you know, the, the results we're getting more and more, you know, that's the focus. But, you know, it's, we, when we came out as a company, we wanted to already have a lot of land on these in these strategic positions, mm-hmm. uh, which we tied up and delighted to have them. But yeah, we're, we're completely working on the floor for now. No work has been done on any of the other properties. I think you mentioned you're currently drilling on four different targets. These are, I guess, all oxide targets. How close together are they? So we we have a trend, Jay, uh, running um, along along about a 16-kilometer trend. So uh-huh. we have a gap in the middle where we have cover of about uh, 8 kilometers. Uh, and we've drilled three targets so far of about a 4-kilometer trend. And then we have a, a more southern target that we want to start drilling, hopefully um, within about a month. We're just sorting out access agreements with the local Ajito. It's a different Ajito group there. And we want to start drilling there. But one thing that's slightly different about the, the target we just started drilling, La Republicana, and then the target we will drill later, hopefully kind of in three or four weeks, is they're more mountainous terrain. So the first two targets we started out drilling, uh, Main Zone and, and San Pedro, are pretty flat, kind of in the, in the, in the desert um, valley area. And now we've gone more up into the mountains. So what we're finding, Jay, at La Republicana is we've identified a stockbook system about 400 meters by 400 meters up more in the mountainous area. And we've put one hole in about 140 meters deep, and we're pretty happy with the kind of mineralization we were seeing as we did the drilling. And now we're doing another one about 150 meters. So these are just the first two holes. But hopefully if we can start to show good depth on the stockwork system, yeah, that would be a great, great first uh, part of drilling up in this more mountainous area where potentially we're going to find higher-grade gold mineralization than we do down in that kind of uh, valley floor where we started off. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, so, so do your geologists see this as uh, several mineralized systems, or is there one large orogenic, gold orogenic system that might be, you know, these various targets that are popping up on surface might be one of the same? We, we know we've had multiple phases of mineralization. So yeah. We know in, uh, in, in particularly Hassan Borough, where we just drilled, we've had at least three phases of mineralization. We believe a similar situation has occurred in, uh, in that Republic County where we're drilling now. So we're seeing a lot of overprinting. So you know, that's what you want to see, because when you, mm-hmm. when you start seeing overprinting, you, know, you, get the, you get density of veins. And that's mm-hmm. really what you want to be seeing in the disseminated system. So we've definitely had multiple phases of minimization. I think mm-hmm. the team is still kind of understanding the system. You know, we, like we say, we're finding a lot of gold at surface, but we, we're, we're far from understanding the source yet. So mm-hmm. you know, it, it could well be a situation where, you know, who knows? Maybe parts of the property we're finding, we believe we've had intrusive-related uh, episodes of, the, of cause of minimization. Another part is just more traditional orogenic uh, as it's already occurred of, 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 of uh, that mm-hmm. minimization. But yeah, I mean, we have such a big property, and I think this is something as well. This is 24,000 hectares of Gloria. That's 240 square kilometers. Mm. So across that property, we expect that we actually have multiple different uh, systems. Uh, and I think we're finding that. We're definitely finding multiple different styles of minimization. And we believe, yeah, exactly. Definitely there's been multiple episodes of minimization occurred. So I think it should be systems, the plural, but uh, mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. still a little bit too early to, to call yeah, at this yeah. stage. Well, certainly uh, the great geologists, of which you have one, Peter McGow, uh, are always about finding and understanding the systems, the whole big system, not just not just um, you know exploring a little bit here and there to try to pull a mine together, but understanding the whole system and looking for something that's big, uh, because big really, it's really important to have large-scale deposits these days, especially because the economics for small mining projects usually don't work very well. Uh, you, so you have some yeah. drill results. I believe you've had some drill results. Are we waiting for some more from the current program that are in the lab, perhaps? Yeah, yeah, we are. And hopefully we have some in the not-too-distant future. Hopefully it's a matter of weeks when mm-hmm. we get out. I'd love to get some out in July. Uh, we're kind of waiting. I keep hoping we're going to get back more. I was hoping we are getting some back last week, and we didn't. So uh, I'm very hopeful we, we will be getting some back uh, in the, it, pretty soon. It should be pretty imminent, but uh, it's really a bit of an unknown, to be honest, Jay. I mean, the, as everybody knows, there's a lot of backlogs. Um, we've actually started to send some uh, samples to a second lab as well. Uh, we haven't got any of those results back yet, but we're hoping they will be a bit of a quicker turnaround. The lab is in is in uh, Tucson, Arizona, rather than going all the way up to Canada. So. Um, but yeah, it's it's a bit frustrating as I think everybody in the industry is experiencing. There is backlogs, uh, you know, but I think hopefully they're kind of subsiding towards the latter part of the year. Is is kind of guidance as well from the labs. Yeah, getting caught up now finally after COVID and all that stuff. It's uh, sort of set us back. Um, what so you, could you perhaps summarize by talking about what the objectives of this year's drill program is? Then, or is it just? I guess maybe you touched on it. Is to is to uh, it's to explore these various targets that you've identified. Did you say there's 11 overall targets that you've identified? In, in total, yeah, we've identified 11. And yeah, like, like, you, like you touched on, Jan, I think this is a key thing for investors to understand in the sector. You know, major mining firms much prefer to have a 5 million ounce deposit than 5 mm-hmm. 1 million ounce deposits. No, and, mm-hmm. and they say there's one big 
headaches. But, you know, you, it's easy to control that big deposit. So like, what we're trying to do is prove up a substantial deposit. We've, we have what we believe is a district-scale gold discovery, and uh, we want to show that initial scale from this initial drilling. So that's why we're drilling in multiple targets over about a 16-kilometer range. And mm-hmm. we want to show to everybody, look, there's gold here, there's gold here, there's gold here. And it's all on one trend. And then, you know, we go back and we start to fill in the gaps along that kind of trend. But we're mm-hmm. quite confident that we will get hits across a big area. Um, you know, that's the, that's the confidence the team has in the project. And that's what we're looking to deliver in this initial drill program uh, over the, you know. Well, it will probably go on for most of the year, to be honest, Jay. I mean, we're looking to do 10,000 meters. We've done about 4,300 meters today. We've been mm-hmm. drilling since uh, February. So, you know, we're going uh, at a scale where we'll probably be drilling uh, to get this 10,000 meters done towards the end of the year. Um, so then at the end, yeah, we want to show the district scale potential of the property. And then we want to start to get, you know, hone in to certain areas, start to, you know, just start to define some resources in those target areas. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And are you well funded? You're able to fund throughout the rest of this year, I suppose, your 10,000 yeah. meter yeah. program? Yeah, exactly. We're very fortunate, particularly with this market. We still have about $8 million cash in the bank. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we raised good money last last summer. We did the financing last August, went public in January in the end. But we're, we're very well capitalized. Yeah, we still have about $8 million Canadian in the bank. And our burn rate is about half a million Canadian dollars a month. So we're very well capitalized, which is really fantastic in, in this current climate. Um, we have no worries on that front. So a half a million dollars includes the drilling expenses, I guess? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. Well, that gives us some perspective, sort of to gauge uh, when you're going to have to go back to the well again. And um, I would say that, uh, I guess, we just in, su- just in summing up here, that we need to just be on the lookout for assays. You should have some coming out and, and um, keep an eye on the project as it's going forward. Exactly. Hopefully, Jerry, they're out in a few weeks, but I really, uh, it's out of our <laughs> control. So, um yeah we're, yeah, we're hopeful that we'll have them out in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we we will get them out when we can. Uh, but it would we we wanted to get them out before you know people started getting away on the summer break. But I think that's mm-hmm. already kind of happening in in this market. As I was listening to your talk with Michael earlier, I mean, yeah. definitely being quite a lot of capitulation in in the junior sector. And, oh um, yeah, I think uh, you know now is definitely an interesting time if people are looking to put money to work. There's a lot of bargains. Yeah, well, people. Yeah, people that can recognize intrinsic value with these junior exploration or the potential value that's there at a time like this is the time if you have some cash, I think, uh, to, uh, to to pick up some of these uh, these little babies. So um, I want to thank you very much, Michael, for being with us, and we'll keep an eye on this story, that's for sure. I'm, uh, as I noted, I'm going to be adding it into my newsletter probably this weekend. So thank you very much um, for sharing your time with us, and, and we'll... Uh, We'll yeah, be talking great, great sometime in the future. No, thanks a lot. Alrighty. If any, All right. if any uh, listeners want to reach out, please, please reach out to my uh, contact details on the website if anyone wants to chat more, more information. But thanks a lot, Jay. Great to be here. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Michael. All right, folks. Well, don't go away because Alistair McLeod will be with me right after the break to talk about Russia is winning the economic war. Well, that's not something we hear very much about uh, from our media. So we'll hear what, uh, my, what, uh, what Alistair has to say when we come back on that score. So don't go away. Follow 
us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Reina Gold is a newly listed company trading on the OTCQB under the symbol REYGF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol REYG. Its flagship asset, La Gloria, is a 24,000-hectare district-scale property in the prolific Mojave Sonora Megashear in Mexico, between La Herradura, Mexico's biggest gold mine by Fresnillo, and El Shonate mine by Alamos Gold. La Gloria has very high-grade sampling and is in the first phase of a 10,000-meter drill program. The technical team is led by Dr. Peter McGaw, co-founder of Mag Silver, and Doug Kirwin, former VP of Ivanhoe Mines. Learn more at reinagold.com. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka Project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm Jay Taylor, your uh, host, and I'm really pleased to have Alistair McLeod with us once again. And as always, whenever we have Alistair on this show, I like to remind you, strongly recommend, in fact, that you go to the research page of goldmoney.com every Thursday to read Alistair's weekly market missives. And they are, from my point of view, the most valuable piece of reading that I do every week in terms of keeping track of the big picture and where we're going and what's happening in the world. Last Thursday, the title of Alistair's weekly article was Inflation, Recession, and New Currencies. The prior week, his article was titled, Russia is Winning the Financial War. And that was a topic that I had in mind to talk to Alistair about today. And I do want to hear what he has to say about that. Gold's got hammered $40 a day. Oil was down $10. Uh, you know, the, it just doesn't make a lot of sense in, in, uh, in light of all that's going on. Uh, but I, I think maybe we'll start out by getting some of his ideas about what he wrote about last week, inflation, research, recession, and new currencies, given uh, the, uh, the chaotic market conditions of the day. Thank you so much, Alistair, for joining us again. That's very much my pleasure, Jay. Uh, you know, Ray Dalio recently said, uh, you know, made the comment, I think it's not something that somebody as brilliant as Ray Dalio has to make, but it seems to me that we're in for a lot of pain, he said. If the Fed's going to fight inflation, we're going to be in for an awful lot of pain. And then he sort of suggested that they wouldn't really be effective anyway because he said that stagflation is going to uh, be the outcome, which I think we have already. 
But anyway, looking at the situation now, maybe uh, drawing on some of the ideas from last week's uh, missive that you put out, how do you see things playing out right now? Well, since I put that out, um, I mean, I did mention in it that uh, we had the problem that we were heading towards, um, uh, you know, what what they call recession um, mm-hmm. for the very simple reason that um, money was no longer being pumped into the economy. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I made the comment that um, uh, quantitative tightening is dead on arrival. I mean, it is basically. Um, we had the same situation back in um, around about January 2020, I think it was, when the Fed had tightened um, and uh, the stock market had crashed. It lost a third mm-hmm. of its value. Bond mm-hmm. yields written, all the rest of it. There'd been a banking crisis reflected in the repo market the previous September. Um, right. And so uh, the Fed then just cut rates down to zero. I mean, you know, in other words, it couldn't actually take monetary inflation out of the system or the inflation of the currency out of the system it the system has become to depend on increasing quantities of stimulus currency stimulus if you like the problem we now have is that bank credit is contracting and um, when bank credit contracts it basically takes uh, currency out of the economy Uh, and so uh, because GDP is merely a measure of the quantity of currency um, uh, in the economy, or more particularly in that part of the economy which is recorded by GDP, uh, if you if you have contracting bank credit, which remember is um, uh, you know sort of something like eighty-seven um, percent of uh, the currency in circulation, the rest being physical banknotes issued by uh-huh. Fed. Um, you can see that there's a massive effect on the economy, and that's what we're, we're that's what we're now seeing. So, uh, what's happening in the markets is that the market's attention, bearing in mind they're all Keynesians in the market, yes, their attention has switched from inflation because they think it's either or. You know, you either get inflation or you get a recession. You can't get both. Mm-hmm. Now, when you have what you call stagflation, then they get confused by it. <laughs> they say, this is, um, you know, our models don't respond to this, therefore we will ignore it. Um, and and basically what they've done is they've just moved from um, uh, the inflation narrative to um, recession narrative. And we've seen this very much with reflected in commodity prices. I mean, oil was down uh, something like nine bucks today. I mean, a yes. very, very big fall. But what what you know what's driving the the fall in commodities and the gold price and the silver price is not actually the physical markets; it's the uh, derivatives, uh-huh. uh, which of course is you know the, the the derivatives are the means by which the Keynesians uh, respond to events, and so that's that's what's driven it down. But you know there's no more gold or silver or oil appearing on the market. The shortages are still there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, people say they're backwardations and all the rest of it. I haven't actually looked at that aspect too closely. But I can tell you that there is no stock around and these prices are entirely artificial. And at some stage, the attention will swing back from uh, the recession to, um, oh, my goodness, we have got inflation. We've still got that problem. Uh, and yes, we have that problem because um, we've seen prices rising at the CPI level uh, in sort of, I don't know, eight, nine percent. And that yep. is 
that, that is, uh, you know, subdued government statistics. Right. Um, and there's no way it's going to come back to that 2% level that um, uh, the Fed and other central banks are still dreaming of. I mean, all they've said is that uh, it's going to take slightly longer than we thought. Um, and, and they're quoting everything. But the real driver behind this, they're saying it's supply chain issues. It's China shutting down Shanghai or um, it's Putin. It's all his fault. You know, it's never, ever um, the, if you like, the consequence of earlier monetary policy, which has been to basically just print money. And yeah. fascinating. I mean, I've been rereading the situation in Germany in 1922 and nobody in Germany actually understood what was driving the purchasing power of the mark, uh, the paper mark down. Mm. You know, they didn't. They, they they were blaming everything but the increase in the quantity of, of of the currency, and we've got exactly the same thing today. Why is that Why? so hard for people to understand? It seems so logical. It seems like it's almost sitting in front of your nose. It is. It is logical, um, and it is sitting in front of our nose. But I think if you're in the position where um, you have been running policy and you are in groupthink mode. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're not going to, um, if you like, sort of think that uh, actually what's happening is the consequence of my earlier actions. No, you're going to blame someone else. And I think that is the systemic problem we have in, in government and the running of government agencies. And it's not just in the sphere of money. It's in virtually everything government does. Well, certainly, though, Alistair, there are some supply issues that come into play, exacerbate the inflation problem, I would argue, I would think, based on, um, you know, the, when David Stockman was on my show, right at about the time that, uh, that, the, that Putin was going in, that Russia was invading the Ukraine, he said that if Biden does what he's threatening to do, that is, uh, the, uh, the sanctions and take away the SWIFT system, uh, that it was crazy as hell, that it would be more expensive, it would hurt Americans at least as much as it hurts the Russians. And and you you could argue, I mean, David wasn't talking about the Europeans, but you could argue that it's hurting the Europeans the most, almost, I would think. But that's certainly part of what we're going through, isn't it? I mean, it wouldn't be as bad if it weren't for this conflict uh, in the Ukraine. Would you agree with that? Or, with, or let's say with, with Biden's response to the conflict. Well, just imagine a situation where um, this had happened without the expansion of the quantity of, of, of money. Right. Uh, what would happen is that, yes, the price of oil would be driven up because uh, simply uh, we rely on Russia's exports. Various other things would be driven up in terms of price because of the Russian situation. But that would be broadly counterbalanced by a reduction of spending in other areas. And, um, you know, you find that businesses would go bust more easily perhaps you would find mm -hmm. that individuals will be spending less on consumer items because uh, they haven't got the money if you like to pay for the extra energy and at the same time uh, go out to the restaurants um, the reason that people actually um, you know pay for the extra energy and go out to the restaurants and go on holiday and all the rest of it is because the government makes the currency available for them to do it one way mm -hmm. or the other Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if you look at the, um, I mean, the budget deficit since um, uh, 2020, I mean, it's just, oh, it's, oh. It's, it's an accumulation of something over six trillion dollars, six and a half trillion dollars. Uh, you know, I mean, that is the extent to which um, the government has financed 
the difference, if you like, uh, uh, of um, you know the shortfall on in terms of their taxes uh, and and uh, what they've actually spent into the economy. It's all that extra money that's gone into the economy that uh, is driving up the prices across the board. So. You know, it's making the money available that has created the situation where, on the broadest base possible, prices of everything are rising. Yeah, it's kind of funny. You know, I think it's uh, Gavin Newsom in California that is sending out checks to people because of their energy, because of their gas prices going up. He wants to send out checks to people so they can pay for their pay for their gas. Well, they, <laughs> it's not going to solve the problem by reducing gas prices by giving your money to buy gas. So it's, uh, like you say, it's, it's just, uh, I don't know, it doesn't make any sense. Um, so, the, so there's this mindset that we can continue doing this and not pay a price for it, though, right? I mean, yeah. a, I mean and, and the U.S. thinks that its, its dollar is going to be here forever, uh, you know, dollar hegemony. They don't see the risks that you talk about. We'll get into that probably in a, in a, in a couple minutes. They don't see the risks that you talk about, uh, the dollar losing its strength or losing its reserve currency status, or if it happens, it's a long, long, long ways away is what they think. Um, and, and, you know, behind it, of course, is the United States military that is always there, it seems, and has an ability to sort of force people to do what the United States wants it to do. So what is what in the world would stop the U.S., the mighty U.S. military, from being able to perpetuate this dollar-based system? Well, um, basically, the purchasing power of the dollar just goes down and down and down. Now, I know today that seems an odd statement to make because the trade weighted has hit something well over 106. Um, yeah. Uh, but that is really, it's a relative game. I mean, it's just, yeah. <laughs> that's only because sterling uh, and um, uh, the euro are going down faster than the dollar in terms mm -hmm. of their purchasing power. You, you, you mustn't look at the, um, uh, you know, the, the foreign exchanges to... to right stand this game uh, really it's a question of what does the dollar actually buy in the marketplace and we start with commodities and we can see that apart from this blip that we have at the moment we can see that commodities are rising at a very fast pace and they will continue to do so the manufacturers costs are rising from mm -hmm. all inputs, uh, and uh, that means that, that consumer prices are going to continue to rise mm -hmm. and we will have to have higher interest rates in order to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Now, I think the mindset of the central banks at the moment are almost to welcome the recession because they believe that if you get a recession, then you don't need to put up interest rates mm -hmm. because that's the worst thing you can possibly do. And they would hope that uh, um, uh, the recession would take out some of the, the demand in the economy and allow prices to stabilize. But, you know, this is a world of um, uh, Keynesian economists mm -hmm. who don't actually understand that most of the volatility in prices actually comes from the currency side, not mm -hmm. from commodities and goods themselves. Mm -hmm. Well, we've seen, of course, with 2008, 2000, before that, the dot-com collapse uh you know we saw briefly with the covid collapse in the equity prices the asset prices uh we saw that interest rates did collapse at those during those times and you know i mean interest rates are going down now um quite a bit i mean the 10-year i don't know i saw it at two two and a half percent or something like that it was up to three and a half or heading higher very you know a little while ago but now with this 
with the equity, with the, with the asset prices coming down, with commodity prices coming down, at least in the last few days or so, uh, we've seen a you know a big decline in the interest rates, and I, I I suppose that's what they're applauding, and they think that's all going to be honky dory. Uh, but um, so why why would it be different this time? Um, I mean, in my thinking, it has something to do with these supply issues that are part of it. But as you say, they address supply problems with, by printing more money, not less. I mean, that's it was COVID was a big, you know, big jolt to the system and just threw trillions of dollars in the system to try to fix something that money can't fix, right? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the fall in, in, in bond yields, um, I think, will prove to be uh, an error in the markets. Mm-hmm. The reason I say that is that um, what really we have a situation where, um, as you say, I think the yield on the 10-year is something like 2.7%. Mm-hmm. Now, that is completely untenable. You know, the situation where inflation is running at 9%, measured by the consumer price index, and has the potential actually to go higher before anything else happens. And, and um, the, the, I mean, the overall situation is just, uh, you know, it's just a conflict um, completely between having to deal with inflation and having to deal with contracting bank credit. And as far as bond yields are concerned, we are unlikely to see the foreign demand for US treasuries continuing um, to the extent that it has in the past. Here we've got China, which is now selling, you have got um, uh, Saudi Arabia, which is also selling, and that's an interesting one. Yes, it uh, is. And, <laughs> yeah, and I think you'll find you'll find that um, foreign demand, which has really kept um, America afloat or American government spending afloat, foreign demand for treasuries is basically falling off a cliff. So um, that really indicates to me that these yields should actually be rising. And if they're not rising, it is because they're being suppressed by monetary policy and the currency will be suffering. And all that does is it accelerates foreign selling of uh, U.S. Treasuries. Bear in mind that foreigners own in excess of 33 trillion, 33 trillion of U.S. financial assets. I'm talking about um, not just U.S. Treasuries, but also uh, investments in uh, equities, uh, corporate bonds, and all the rest of it. And I think about uh, something like seven trillion of uh, deposits and uh, near cash. So um, this is a, an enormous, an enormous distortion in the dollar, and that is going to unwind at some stage, and it'll be very, very much to the um, dollar's detriment. It sure would seem to be. Um, it's hard. To, it's hard to envision that. It certainly isn't something that people are expecting. I suspect that what most people are hoping for and thinking will come true is that inflation will be tamed back to two percent or whatever. Uh, they don't see the, um, the, you know, the money in the in the pipeline and how that's going to eventually just drive prices higher. Let's get to the uh, your la- your article that you wrote the week prior. Uh, Russia is winning the financial war. Um, what? You know, I think the the notion we certainly don't hear that here. Uh, it's not part of the the propaganda that we get in America. The notion that Russia could be getting the better of the U.S. and NATO is is of course something that's just you know that's just never going to happen. Uh, but what evidence? So what evidence do you see that in fact that Russia is winning the financial war? Well, it, the basic um, objective that the Russians have is to get America out of Europe. Uh, uh-huh. And um, this was accelerated on the financial side by uh, NATO, led by America, um, uh, introducing sanctions against Russia. 
And um, so what the Russians have done is that they've actually benefited from this. I mean, their, their trade um, surplus has increased as a result of these sanctions. Mm-hmm. And this, this increase looks like it's going to continue. Now, um, the other thing is that um, those sanctions and following those developments, the more recent developments with, um, you know, potentially including Sweden and Finland in NATO, expanding NATO, as it were, bringing um, weapons closer to the Russian border, basically. Um, We haven't had a response from Putin yet. Now, I suspect that there will be a response. And Mm -hmm. I don't think it is going to be all that nice for us. Bear in mm-hmm. mind that we have effectively ejected him completely from the Western economy, apart mm-hmm. from his sales of, uh, you know, vital, vital commodities, which he can continue to sell around Asia. And he's quite happy to do that. Mm-hmm. So um, he's now got uh, no interest, if you like, in perpetuating the dollar based system. Uh, you know, it's he, he, it's not that he's he, he can take payment in dollars because I mean, he was forced to to uh, default um, technically on yeah. uh, uh, payments of loans. Why? Because the Americans refused uh, him the ability to, um, you know, pay in dollars. So, you know, he's got no interest in perpetuating a dollar-based world. So, I suspect that what he might do is bring in measures which will drive the price of oil even higher. Mm-hmm. Um, now. I have been, um, uh, it's been indicated to me that one of the ways in which he he is likely to do this is to encourage the Iranians to block the uh, Straits of Hormuz. And Mm. remember also that the Iranians also are backing the Houthis in the the Yemen. And Mm -hmm. this doesn't hit the news at all, but the Houthis have been attacking ships in the Red Sea, um, uh, you know, with missiles and all the rest of it. Now, I think that would probably step up as well. So you can see that uh, it's actually in Putin's power to drive up the price of oil very, very substantially, measured in dollar terms. And on top of that, we have Saudi Arabia, which is trying to join the BRICS now, the, you know, the, the um, uh, Brazil, Russia, mm-hmm, right. India, China, South, South Africa. It's looking to join BRICS. It's looking to join the um, or become associated with the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. And, um, you know, Mr. Biden is going over there to 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 see them uh, later on this month. I think he's going to get a, you know, a pretty straightforward reception from um, Mohammed bin Salman. And I think he's going to be told the facts of life. This yeah. is not cutting up nicely for the dollar. I think that's really what it boils down to. Right. And, of course, uh, Biden hasn't tried to make friends with Saudi Arabia. To the contrary, uh, he called them a pariah, a pariah state, I think is what he called them. And, and now, uh, for whatever reasons, he decides he's not going to you know, produce oil and gas in the United States. He wants to go to Venezuela and to Saudi Arabia and places like that, uh, whatever internal politics he's playing. But it's, uh, it doesn't seem to be shaping up very well. I thought it was pretty interesting. And so, and so uh, just with a couple of minutes, uh, two minutes basically left here, Saudi Arabia, of course, we had been very close to Saudi Arabia. We built the petrodollar on Saudi, with Saudi Arabia, the requirement for, uh, for oil to be priced in dollars. Where does that leave us? If Saudi Arabia turns hostile to the United States, as it seems to be in pro-U.S. you know, anti-US and heading towards, towards the other side of the world, where does that leave? That should also be very bearish for the dollar, I would think. 
Yes, I mean, I think what we're what we're looking at is the end of an era, in effect, and uh, that era being, if you like, uh, marked by the existence of the petrodollar. Uh, the fact is that Saudi Arabia doesn't sell any um, uh, oil to America at all now. It's got no interest at all. And uh, it's increasingly becoming focused, uh, along with the rest of the Middle East, uh, on um, uh, being part of the uh, the large Eurasian market, if you like. Um, and that's that's where it's going. So um, you're absolutely right about the you know the 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 uh, the rudeness as as uh, Mohammed bin bin Salman has sees it from uh, President Biden about um, you know his behaviour uh, on the Khashoggi affair and and so on. I yeah. you know he's going to get a very rough reception in my view. Yeah, I'm afraid that's right. We're out of time. Unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to talk about how this evolution towards a new currency might take place. Uh, uh, readers should go to Alistair's June 30th missive at Gold Money uh, to get his insights into how this evolution could take place, how uh, moving towards a commodity-based money, uh, gold-based money, uh, something that's real that stands behind and the intrinsic value of the currency rather than this make-believe stuff that the Keynesians have forced us to use over the last number of decades it's really taken us to uh, the to the precipice i think of, of something really nasty um, thank you so much alistair for being with us we'll look forward to talking to you again sometime soon my pleasure jay all righty folks that that is it for this week um david stockman is my guest next week nick rodway will be uh, with me as well and i may have a special guest until next week next tuesday goodbye and god's blessings to you Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 